What's up, friends? We are back with another episode of the What Made You Do It podcast, and I am your host, Sam Moore. On this podcast, I interview artists, entrepreneurs, and creatives to share their stories and demystify the creative pursuit. Today, I'm excited to share with you a conversation with the incredible DJ, Aaron Stereo. Aaron has lived quite the life from attending underground raves at the age of 13 to being a 911 operator and ultimately building her life as a professional DJ. I know you're all going to love this one, so let's get to the interview. I'm here today with my dear, dear friend, Aaron Stereo. Aaron is one of the first, like, purebred artist creatives that I met in Denver, and she actually was the resident DJ for the Oslo pool parties that we hosted at X Denver all last summer long. So she is someone who I have wanted to interview and learn more about her creative journey for a very long time, but Aaron... Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. That was so kind. Yeah. So happy to have you here. Likewise, yes. I'm always happy to chat with you and especially about stuff like this. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I love to start the podcast off by just kind of putting the ball in your court and like, how do you describe yourself when you introduce yourself to people? Actually, that was, uh, I thought, quite nice what you said. Mm-hmm. I do think that the first word I would use to describe myself um, is an artist, mm-hmm. which of course is an umbrella with a lot of other things underneath it. But that's sort of how I like to describe myself, how I perceive myself, how I hope other people would perceive me. So that again was really nice of you to just kind of say that unprompted. Um, But yeah, uh, as an artist. I love it. Is there a typical specific type of art that you like to partake in? So, I mean, I sort of see what I do as a DJ as an art form. And again, DJing, lots of little parts underneath that that go with it. And, you know, everything from, you know, digging for music, preparing your music, practicing your instrument, um, you know, uh, um, troubleshooting, problem solving, lifting stuff, heavy stuff, (laughs) you know, um, you know, um, just kind of all of these little details that go with that. But DJing, once I'm finally behind the decks and I'm doing uh, what I do, um, that is kind of, uh, yeah, that is that is my art form there. Once I'm finally home after everything's been loaded in and set up. Um, but so that is my art form, although I, uh, it, I've done lots of other different things throughout my life mm-hmm. that kind of like all led me. Um, and served me to become a DJ, sort of like um, gave me experience that ultimately served me as a DJ later. Like, you know, I was a dancer for like 15 years and I um, uh, thought that, you know, maybe that was going to be my route. And then I um, realized that all of my dance training, all my dance background really set me up to become a DJ. Yeah. You know, counting music, like picking music, all these things. Um, and, and, and I mean, same with, let's see, I've tried to play a ton of different instruments. I played violin. I played guitar. Wow. Um, I, I, a little harmonica, but again, I wasn't, I never really excelled as a dancer or as a musician really. Mm-hmm. And those were kind of like my, what I thought at the time failed attempts at becoming an artist. Um, so once I found DJing, it was kind of like everything kind of came together. Everything that I really loved and wanted to do um, all just came together in this like one perfect art form. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I've seen you dance while you're DJing and, and I, no wonder why you have such great rhythm back there. <laughs> um, but I actually had no idea that you were a dancer before. Was yeah. that something like from childhood through high school? Like, what was that experience? Yeah, like? totally. So I started in ballet when I was four and did that um, almost all the way through high school. So I guess maybe it was more like 13 or 14 years. Okay. But um, but yeah, in ballet, literally. And sometimes um, I hear my ballet teacher's voice in my head still going five, six, seven, eight. And I do that all day long while I DJ five, six, seven, eight play. And um, I actually wrote her and told her that That's once that I still hear her voice in my head. But I totally believe that um, dance 
is one of the most solid backgrounds that you could have for learning how to become a DJ. I mean, and learn and remembering how to be a good DJ too, because it's kind of supposed to be this dance floor mm-hmm. um, centric art form. Yeah. So I personally, oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, I personally am not a dancer, but my sister, one of my sisters was um, a dancer and like a dance major in college. So I went to a lot of uh, dance recitals and everything, but I'm, I can only imagine that like you through dancing, you have like an inherent understanding of what moves your body or like what makes you like be more fluid in your movement and having that as like your filter to choose music, I can only imagine is a, a huge asset. Yeah. Yeah. And, and digging for music, I wanted to have really unique tracks that I could dance to. And so all of a sudden I had this library full of singles mm-hmm. that I had cherry picked because I wanted to dance to it, make a routine to this or that. Um, and so, yeah, so then all of a sudden I have this like really deeply curated library. Um, and then, and then of course that was kind of like the beginning of me wanting to share my library. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, that comes from dance originally. What, what type of music was it that you were picking mostly for the, you know, all kinds of stuff, because of course I did ballet to mostly classical. Um, but then I became interested in, um, you know, uh, styles of dance that were popular at raves that I was like attending. So like your kind of liquid dance style, popping and locking and like, um, a little bit of breaking. I never was a breaker myself. Um, but you're the hype queen, but yeah. I just thought it was really fascinating and I really like that kind of music. And so then I started to, um, fall in love with electronic music, really kind of like at the same time that I was developing my style as a dancer outside of ballet, yeah. um, as a, as a just regular kind of like teen, preteen, whatever. Um, but yeah, so that kind of, I started getting a lot of, um, just electronic music, also hip hop, which was very popular kind of like when I was growing up and also where I was growing up, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think nineties hip hop, I mean, it was very popular probably like everywhere, but where, where um, were you growing up? I, I am actually from Aurora, Colorado, yeah. um, Col- Colorado and almost Denver native, which is yeah. unheard of in these parts. <laughs> Pretty darn close. Although, you know, yeah, I'm very fortunate. The, um, the city has changed a lot. And so in some ways it's like a different city, but it's, um, it's kind of always been a really nice home for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I, yeah. Cut, I cut you off as you were talking about the nineties hip hop influence and actually just... it's, um, interesting that it's kind of, you know, uh, Denver changing and my coming up in the rave world are a little bit related because just since we kind of like got on the subject of Denver, um, because there were places that were empty, places that you could go that were not safe, but you could go there and you could dance when you were like 14, 15, 16 years old. I mean, when I got to, I mean, I was seeing DJs at a really young age. Um, Most people don't get to see a DJ outside of a wedding or a roller rink until they're 18 or 21 years old. And so I was watching dancers and DJs um, from the time I was seriously like 13 years old. Um, and a lot of that did have to do with just kind of like the underground rave scene when there was a lot of empty space available for pop-up parties and things like that. Um, which again was not totally kosher or safe (laughs) structurally, you know, in some of these buildings, but also for all kinds of other reasons. But, um, but it was totally positive for me and it really did kind of open my eyes to, um, these different roles in parties, Mm -hmm. you know, like these dancers are so amazing and this DJ is way better than the DJ in the other room and why, and like, Ooh, these people who are done all the way up, in terms of their fashion, they are a character and all these like different party characters um, that I was learning about when I was like in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, 
Not most people don't key in on all those things when you're in that. Sp- First of all, most people don't find themselves 13, 14 years old at raves, but also like they're not just in awe of everything, but like taking note of the DJ, taking note of who's performing better and why. Um, and I'm just curious, have you always been like an ultra observant person or, or where did that kind of come from? I think so, especially because I was young and not only trying to figure out who I was and who I seem the most like, which one of these people am I? Um, but also mm. I was, um, it was chaotic. Uh, and I had, you know, even even after I had been to my third or fourth sort of rave or like rave-like party, I was still pretty nervous there. You know, um, there was like a lot of people around and flashing lights and it's really late and I'm supposed to be somewhere else. No one knows I'm here (laughs) kind of like thing. Wow. Um, So, so I was just kind of like, I think hyper aware as a result of trying to figure out who I was, where I fit in. And then also just out of, because I was like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm Mm -hmm. like a, nerd actually kid but i'm like at this party um but yeah so i think that you know yeah i just kind of was like taking it all in i was in total awe um so i just was like never seen anything like that never seen a dj a flashing light people dressed like this people dancing like this um relating in this way and been in a building like this or, or had to figure out how to get here like that. So, I mean, it just, it appealed to me so deeply. Um, but, um, but again, you know, that was like, could be an open field, which we don't even have an open field in Denver now, which is a fine, you know, I'm not, you know, not knocking what we have now, but it's just different. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and not to keep going deep in this, but I'm, I'm so how did you hear about these raves? Mm. And how did you get there? And like, who are you with? I, I'm just like really curious about your logistics of, of being 14 years old at these raves. Yeah. So um, there was neighbor kids who were older, but we knew them because they're from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I was used to listen to this late night electronic radio show um, on like, you know, whatever local Denver radio and I was so obsessed with that sound and I didn't even understand like what those instruments mm-hmm. you know were I'm doing quotations if you're listening but, <laughs> you know I didn't know what was making those sounds um, but I was really interested in it and I kind of um, you know heard some of the neighborhood kids listening to music like that and they're like and I'm like what kind of music is this and rave music techno like oh okay rave music what's rave (laughs) like I don't know what that is techno okay I get that but yeah and so um then just kind of like one night staying the night at someone's house hop into a car you know and go somewhere that's based on a map a map point and sometimes you have to call a phone number and listen to a recording and get the map or you have to follow uh in a line of cars and hope that you don't get left behind um, at a red light or whatever the case may be. So it was, um, it was like, these were dedicated, um, party people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, high stakes. I mean, uh, I, if I was in that situation, I would definitely, I feel like it would amplify everything about the experience. So Truly. Like, you know, you're so in tune with the senses trying to locate the location and, and like, even you're talking about the red light thing, like trying to make sure that you're tailing close enough behind that, like if it turns yellow. Yeah. Oh, yes. Super interesting. Okay. So you're in like middle school into high school, kind of like transitioning almost from classical ballet dance into the rave scene. Um, Was there like a, was there a moment in that time when you thought like, I want to be the person that picks the songs or like, I don't know if you had the the verbiage of like, I want to be the DJ or yeah. um, I'm just curious about that moment. I didn't understand that at first, mm-hmm. but looking back, um, I think I did want to be that. 
um, because I used to do stuff like point my speakers outside, like mm. outside the window of my house and play music for outside. <laughs> like that's such a, and I was like, why am I such a weird poser? Like at the time it was like, why do I have the urge to like pick a song to unroll my windows and pull into the parking lot in high school? Mm. Why am I like this? Like this is performative mm-hmm. and like lame, I thought at the time, but I just had that urge to pick songs Mm -hmm. for things and um and it wasn't really until um I don't know I was in my like early 20s that I really um actually got turntables and immediately fell in love Mm. and that was it I started DJing and I never stopped um but so just once I got my brother actually came over we both were kind of interested. We'd been watching YouTube videos of DJs and stuff. My brother came over and had two turntables and a mixer. And um, we played with it all day. And then um, at the end of the day, he left it there with me because he could see that I was invested. Enthralled. Uh-huh. And, and left them there for me to play with. And then that was it. I just kept going and got better turntables and gave him his back and... Um, just kind of kept moving forward with it. But that it wasn't until I sort of like became a DJ that I realized any of this, mm. that like um, that, that me picking music to dance to me, picking music to play out my window, me picking music to play when we get to the basketball court at the park. Like I was, I was a mixtape maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even record songs off of the radio and then rearrange them into my own mixtape. So I just was doing that and putting a lot of labor and a lot of love into that without realizing that that was a sign of anything, you know, um, until later. And then now I've had all this time to reflect on where I came from. I mean, even one of my favorite Instagram posts that I have is, um, a photograph of my diary from when I'm like seven years old and I'm just listing my favorite songs mm. and they're really cool songs. It's like literally salt and Peppa and like whoop, there it is and stuff like totally misspelled. But, but <laughs> I was just writing down my list of my favorite songs. And that was like that. And, it, and then I just kept going. I, yeah. That's all I do now is <laughs> make lists of songs. It's a, it's pretty amazing when you're like, you know, a bit further down the journey, down the path, and you can kind of like think back to those weird moments. And it's it's so interesting how those are the things that, you, the memories that you have, because yeah. uh, how many other things happened at seven years old. And, um, but, okay, so when, when you're like early 20s and still haven't like gotten the turntables or anything, were you like what jobs did you have at the time? What were you, what were you doing to make a living uh, while you were, you know, soon to be figuring out DJ life? Yeah. Well, actually I was a 911 operator. Wow. Uh, for no four idea. years. Did you never know that I about me? I had no clue. That um, is so wild. I wasn't sure if I ever brought that up or not, but um, cool. We saved it for the, for the pod. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I was a 911 operator f- straight out of college um, I, I have a, a psychology degree and I did a little bit of suicide hotline stuff in college. Um, and so um, I became a police dispatcher and 911 uh, call taker. Um, and I did that for four years and I knew that I didn't want to do that forever by any means. Yeah, it's a very um, traumatic space to be in every day. And, and, and outside of the reasons that you might even expect, it was just... Um, conservative and you know on a totem pole kind Mm -hmm. of system and the hours are maddening and things like that so I mean just outside of what you sort of expect from a high stress environment it was also um, uh, restrictive that was in um, 2009 KGNU is a completely nonprofit radio station that's been around since the late 70s in Denver and Boulder um, longer in Boulder, but also here in Denver for over a decade. Um, but, but yeah, and then I became a volunteer at the radio station and started learning how to DJ and was on air. Um, before I had ever DJed in a club, I was DJing on the radio, um, very late at night, but yeah. That's like, I mean, that that's the original disc jockey, right? Like that's the, on the radios and that's, I, 
I'm still a little shook that I had no idea you were a 911 operator. Yes, yeah. Um, not to, this is, has nothing to do with music, obviously, but I'm so, like, what was, do you have any, like, days or shifts or just, like, memories that were, like, particularly jumped out and, and maybe times where you're like, I need to get the out of here as a dispatcher <laughs> yeah well one of the things i mean i of course dealt with things across the spectrum in terms of um helping people but also uh receiving those calls that um that don't end well mm. um but for the most part you know just kind of like um tried to uh, help people remain empathetic because it's really easy to to want to harden. Um, but you know, um, I tried to remain empathetic, and I was pretty successful with that. But some of the the thing that made me realize I need to find like really, really move on um, was um, just kind of um, oh, I can't remember what it was. There was a a call that came in and it was on the border of one city and another city. And, um, it came in to me, I transferred it to the other city and they transferred it back. So there was basically like a three or four minute delay on this. Um, it turned, it was a car fire and, um, and, and, and I was like, um, in, in big, big trouble for that. And I had a pretty stellar reputation and actually it turned out fine. The fire department got there, um, you know, but, but because that was an error of about like two or three minutes, um, I was like written up and was on, uh, like probation after that. And I just thought I cannot have a two or three minute error be, um, the, the thing that changes my life or somebody else's life that I'm responsible for. Um, you know, uh, like I said, luckily that night it turned out fine. The fire department got there, they put it out. But, um, but I just thought, oh, you can get in big trouble for a two minute mistake when you're in this, you know, um, position. So I just thought this is just not, this isn't what I want for myself. Mm -hmm. At first I kind of thought it was my duty to do it because I felt that I could do it well. And I, I knew that I could do it with empathy and mm -hmm. uh, that I could, I had this, the technical skill set required that I had the emotional, you know, um, stability or whatever that is required, uh, the typing skills, whatever, um, decision-making, all of these things. I thought that I can do this and I can do it well. And it's my, my obligation to do it because people need me and they need someone like me to answer their 911 call. And then um, finally I just realized that uh, that I had, I, I didn't think that I could keep that up forever. Mm. I didn't think I could keep up a perfect flawless performance forever. And I didn't want to stick around to find out when I was gonna like fuck up basically or yeah. whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, so that was, and, and also I just was kind of, called to a more liberal environment um that was you know kind of the other thing is just very high you know very conservative um Bureaucratic. sort of yes yeah. truly and um you know that just didn't work with me mm -hmm. that didn't work for me yeah well i it, talk about like a risk reward standpoint of like your profession where you're you do your job flawlessly like you said for four years mm -hmm. and all you just get your paycheck like it's normal and then one misstep and we're two to three minutes where like you know objectively when it's an emergency two to three minutes is important but that small of a of a, a misstep mm -hmm. being having the collateral damage of your career and your reputation but also other people i i cannot imagine putting yeah. myself in that situation yeah i was and and it was kind of interesting too because people of course responded really strangely when i left that job to go basically uh you know 
work at the Fillmore Auditorium and try to become a DJ. Mm. People thought that was really weird, but I never understood that. I'm like, you can't, like, because I was doing really well right out of college. I had a very prestigious, very well-paying, uh, supportive benefits kind of type job. Um, and so there were plenty of people in my world who did not understand that move that I made from being a 911 operator to becoming a professional DJ. But I don't understand how they couldn't understand, you know, security, I guess, is something that people who love you want for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people were concerned about my decision <laughs> to go off and become an artist. But, um, but to me, it seems so clear and obvious. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and so from in my journey, I've, left multiple different industries um and every single step of the way it was met with a lot of confusion and the first one going from like my first job was in financial consulting um at like a big four accounting firm and you know talk about bureaucratic and in the i can imagine from well and from like the outside too like the most like i was getting paid very well very secure um, and I wanted to move to San Francisco to like get into the software world and software is not a, you know, I wouldn't say like a totally creative pursuit. Right. But it is still like a very corporate option, but that even that shift was met by a lot of people in my life. Like how on earth are you walking away from this situation you're in? And for me doing that, having some success, but like also proving to everyone else that like I'm not just flying by the seat of my pants like there's some calculation to the decisions yes, I make yes yeah um <laughs> got gave me the the confidence to do that again and again and again yeah. until ultimately here I am sitting across the table from you yes yeah <laughs> doing a podcast so. I love that about you <laughs> I really do I really really do um I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that you made it here via whatever path necessary yeah well i'm glad you're here too aaron um i so okay so you go to work at the fillmore mm -hmm. great uh very very like i don't know what the word would be but it's it, fillmore's been around for a very long time in denver oh yes um were you helping out backstage were you like what was your role within the fillmore i originally became a uh vip cocktail server okay and um then slowly became one of the bartenders and continued to just work uh, behind the bar, at, you know, whenever they had concerts or events or whatever, which was really fun and exciting. And, um, you know, uh, a tipped position, but, but sporadic um, so that I could still kind of try to keep doing the DJ thing. And um, that actually worked out really beautifully. And um, I had an, another um, very kind of like even briefer stint as a cocktail waitress at Comedy Works, which was mm. also a great job, a really great job. It is the hardest um, service industry job I've ever had, mm. um, but a really good job. And so um, I was getting too busy with that for DJing. I left there and then ultimately finally left the Fillmore as well to fully focus on DJing. And that was in... Um, Let's see, I've been a full-time DJ since, I guess, about 2017 or maybe tw 2016, but securely, I can say 2017. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to want to talk about that year of the, the insecurity and getting over that hump. Um, but stick, like at the Fillmore, was there any, I guess, was there any moment where you either met somebody who was like you know, quote unquote, discovered you or you were like put into a room or an opportunity um, showed up that um, kind of like signaled to you that like this, this music thing is I'm going down the right path with it. Um, well, I just started out by letting everyone that I knew know that I was a DJ and that mm. I fancied myself a DJ. And actually, um, I kind of got my start in the comedy world. Like one of my very first, I played a few bars um, around town and a couple of like after hours warehouse things. Um, but d some of my first DJ gigs were comedy shows and comedy podcasts, like live podcast recordings. I would DJ and then they would do the podcast and then I would DJ some more. Or again, comedy shows, I'd DJ at the beginning, maybe play some intro music and then DJ shortly after. And so I kind of, um, I just said yes to everything 
um, for like three years um, and just kept and then someone saw me at a comedy show and hired me for a party and then someone saw me at a party and hired me for their corporate event and then um, I went to visit a DJ at a bar where he DJed and he invites me to come and DJ and then they like me and they have me back and it just kind of um, the ball just rolled and I just try to keep up um, but 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 saying yes and being out there and being visible worked for me. Um, some people might not advise that. They might say, know your worth or, you know, all these other things that are also true. But for me, like the value that I get from playing shows is not limited to what I get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean that in terms of fulfillment, but also in terms of business. Um, I did a brunch for a number of years, lowest paying gig I had, had to wake up early on Sunday mornings to do it after Saturday nights, but I never handed out more business cards than at that brunch. And, and sometimes you wait two, three years before people call you and they have your card. And as soon as they need a DJ, you're the only DJ they remember and they've got your card. And so it took a while to kind of like get going, but I just kept getting out there, just kept saying yes, and just having my like my stickers and my business cards available to quickly hand out at any moment. So, um, but yeah, that worked for me. Yeah, and the stickers are, are now all over town, yeah. all over Denver, every, yeah, every bathroom and in, in every club. Uh, I love it. So uh, the the introducing yourself as a DJ. I mean, I even today, like it was probably a year and a half into having launched Oslo that I finally felt comfortable introducing myself as an entrepreneur. I did it. Like I, I had no other yes. title, yeah. <laughs> no other job description yeah. to give people. But I remember that feeling very uncomfortable or just like I was very unsure of that. Um, but for you, like was, was that advice you were given from someone or how did you, how did you choose to like, I'm, I'm a DJ and I'm going to tell everybody I can so that this, I repeat it enough. So I believe it and it actually happens. Yeah. I just think that I was part of what drives me is the sharing uh, of music and, and elevating music that I think is really good because I happily spend a lot of time looking for music and remembering music and basically what I say finding and combining that's like what I do is find and combine music and so um I was I wanted badly to share with people um and also you know just to kind of um express myself um and and my and sort of just put my taste out there and see what people thought um and so I I was driven to to play for people um so that they would be happy (laughs) and so I I wanted to play gigs and I just was like I'm a DJ if you ever you know if you guys need a DJ for whatever and um you know between those two jobs that I had at Comedy Works and at the Fillmore I was meeting lots of people um so yeah so I just started mentioning it and then and then you show up and you do a really good job and then you'll get another thing out of it that ideally and and you know if you keep going with that you just keep building and building and building but that's the that's the whole key is to show up and do a really good job and to be someone that people want to work with Mm -hmm. you know to be to be the best at what you're the best at first and foremost but also be a cool person be a polite person Mm -hmm. things like that but yeah there is, yeah, there's there's no substitute to just being likable and being somebody that people want to be around, um, especially in something like, I, I can imagine DJing where I'm throwing a party and I'm hiring somebody to not only, you know, fill, check a box of what's needed for the party, but to like be a very central piece of it. If you're if you're a cool person, that makes you infinitely more, uh, which is probably why I called you every time I needed to. I have really a, appreciate a, a, that a pool party uh, DJ. You know, you've always given me free reign, and yeah. so I and uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you you're you're doing your your cocktail waitressing and um getting into the DJ space. Was there a like 
when did you decide like I need to focus on this full time? Um, when I was expected to work at my job on like New Year's Eve mm. or something like that. And it was like, I, New Year's Eve is a huge night all, at the Fillmore always, but also as a DJ. And I just, um, was tired of trying to make the choices because it's like, if I don't work tonight, I'm going to lose my job. But, um, if I, I just did not want to stop the flow I didn't want to stop the momentum of my DJ career by turning anything down. And again, I don't know if that's the right approach or not to just say, to just hustle forever and just keep going and doing that for, you know, as long as it takes. But, um, but that's what I did. And, and so I just knew that I couldn't choose anything over DJing anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I believed that, that it was just getting in the way. Um, Yeah. Well, and I think that that personifies what an artist, like a, in my opinion, what the definition of an artist is, because there, if you're able to continually choose other things over your art, then you're not, you know, like that, that's your, your, the main thing is the main thing, but you had to make the decision that like DJing was the main thing. And if you're someone or something getting in the way, like I have no time for you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and especially because um, it's something that I'm uniquely suited to do. Mm -hmm. Lots of people um, are bartenders and lo lots of people are really good bartenders, way better bartenders than I was. Totally. But I'm probably way better DJ than them, you know. And so I just kind of thought this is what I am suited for. Um, and again, to sort of touch back on to what I was talking about as a dispatcher, I felt like I can do this well. Mm-hmm. I can do it and I can do it well and I can express myself. I can, while I'm serving other people, there's, this is it. Um, yeah, it was clear. Yeah. It was very clear. What was that? What was that first year like then? Um, uh, one other thing I should mention is when I left the police department, um, I had a retirement account there that mm -hmm. I had built up over four years with my own contributions and with theirs that I cashed out. So that was like, mm, I think like $12,000 that I just had to kind of pad the transition. Um, so my first year as a DJ, the summer would, I would do okay. But in February I would make, you know, um, 300 bucks, like the whole month. And it's like, you know, kind of just, um, sort of rolling along just, okay, well throw the 300 on the pile. And then, you know, come, you know, May, June, July, August, we'll make a little money and we'll stash some of that away for next February. Um, so, I mean, there were times when I was making next to nothing or when I was playing a ton, um, for very little amounts, um, but the experience that in DJing, um, the more you play, the more things go wrong, the more you learn how to fix things, how to get through things, um, how to troubleshoot things, not only as a performer, but also in terms of equipment. Um, and so just that, that experience from just playing, setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down. This went wrong. That went wrong. Oops. I left the reverb on this channel over here. Oops. I left the mic on. Oops. I, you know, I didn't move this thing over. Just any, any thousand things that can go wrong, start to go wrong when you play a lot until all of a sudden you can't be shaken. Um, you know, I've had my computer die on stage in front of a big crowd before and stuff like that. Like, um, you know, when you, and then never have I forgotten to plug my computer in ever again. And once you've done that a ton of times, um, one day you just kind of have that wisdom and you get to enjoy it because you've earned it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And it, yeah, it sounds like a lot of just like building resilience in every facet, both like in the booth unloading equipment and loading it back up in just like life in general. Um, and recognizing that even when it seems like 
the world's crashing down. It usually isn't. Um, and, and the ability to kind of like ride that wave and get to the other side. You know, and to, and to also the day when that, when my computer died, I just sort of dealt with it, got back on, finished doing my thing. And then um, a couple people complimented me on my recovery afterwards. So it, it, you know, it endeared, it even, it even went on to endear me to a few people. It wasn't a totally negative experience, um, even though it was really embarrassing, Um, you know, but but, um, you know, there's still something that came from that and you get a little something every time. And so once you've played like many, many, many times, you have like this bag full of tools available to you. Yeah. Um, okay. Not to switch gears on us, but the, you have one of the more calming presences of, of people I, I know. Um, and you talking about your psychology background and 911 operator it sounds like some of that was innate but i'm curious how you is is there any like practices you have that that help kind of cultivate this like we'll call it equanimity right just kind of like being very even keel in these situations like when your computer dies or something like that thanks you know i i don't i think that some of that does just come from uh I, I try to cultivate a joyful life, which sounds um, actually a little cheesy, but like I, I watch movies that I love and I listen to music that I love and I watch old TV shows that I love and I like, I do things that I enjoy so that I don't ever feel, or I should say so that I feel as close to balanced as possible because I can be greatly affected by, um, you know, um, even, even something like a super dramatic film, you know, can kind of like, can alter my mood in this way, because again, as an artist, I'm kind of just like open to receive. And sometimes I'm receiving things that I do not want. And so I, when I have the choice of what I want, I watch, um, things that I love and I listen to music that I like, um, to, to just sort of refuel that um, balance and to kind of like keep my artistic scale leaning happy and peaceful and joyful. And sometimes that means limiting um, things that make me feel, uh, you know, super, super sad, like a super sad documentary. And it's like, this is important. I fully understand that. I'd actually, you know, I would even actually read an article before I would watch this documentary because I have to protect my um, my three hours of my piece when I'm at home, yeah. you know, kind of doing my thing. And, um, you know, the, again, you know, thankfully I get, I stay up with things pretty well on TikTok, thank God. Um, and, and that has a nice way of sort of helping me take in some of the, um, some of the world's, sadder more tragic news and also um some of just the heavier drama uh you know fiction um I keep up with that on TikTok in very very short stints and then um but when it's up to me when I can choose what I'm uh you know sort of bringing into my environment um I just try to keep it light yeah yeah well First of all, that was I think that's the most positive way anyone's ever described TikTok. And, oh, I and, love TikTok. Yeah, it, it, in terms of like educating you, but the value of it being so short that like you're able to move on from it if you need to, and it's you know can't be longer than a minute. Um, but also, I so I'm somebody who I really don't enjoy scary movies at mm-hmm. all, and. Uh, my girlfriend does, and it's you know for for the listeners, we're recording this a little bit before Halloween. It's spooky season, um, and I was, you know, I I got uh, signed up to watch a scary movie with her, and I that night I like couldn't really sleep for fall asleep for a while, and not even like I was like scared yes. of the thing, but like I could like feel. I could like feel it. Yeah. Um, it takes a while for that adrenaline to drain out of your system. And, uh, the way you were describing it, like I, I consider myself a pretty like empathic person in mm-hmm. terms of, I can like sense energy in the room and, and like around people. And 
the way you described it, like it's more so I'm, I'm so in, I, I try to be in tune with other people and that there's no way to buffer that for the movie. Like this, you know, the movie was like called creep. Um, and it's a very like unsettling person and thing. And, um, but like I was feeling that as well. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so you, you're, you're giving me like, I thought kind of like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I watch a, a scary movie? And not that a, yeah, well, I could go on for a while about this, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that helped me have a little uh, peace with, with that Relatable. Situation. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Some people find horror movies relaxing. Or, you know, I like horror movies okay, but I, I but a, a drama, an, like an award-winning film, I probably can't sit through that. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, it's too, the drama, I can't with the drama. It's too much drama. L- reality TV, oh, too embarrassing. I get... F- I get personally physically embarrassed by watching cringy like mm. content. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple I mean I can't live. I'm trying to think of what show like they're the one that comes to mind right now is The Office. Like I can't I love The Office. It's actually one of my favorite shows, but like some of the things that Michael Scott does, I literally stand up and leave the room. Like, like I, I have to be take out of a walk. <laughs> I have to be out of the room because I can't like sit in my skin while this is happening. Uh, got it. I love it. Okay. Um what does so if you could like script out an ideal day like not like a, a work day ish where you're you're either playing a show or something but like what does uh an ideal Aaron stereo day look like yeah um i i kind of just wake up uh whenever i'm ready which is usually still f- fairly early in the morning but without any kind of i don't have alarms or anything like that and that's um one of my greatest like joys having left my job as a dispatcher is just no more of that. But, um, how, how many hours of sleep do you try to get? Um, I, you know, I don't sleep well. I, a lot enough time usually on my nights off, but, um, but I don't sleep well. Mm-hmm. Um, so hard to say, but yeah, I sort of wake up. I like, I actually do like to go to the gym, um, first thing in the morning for a long time, I just did yoga, but I'm really into the gym right now, which I can't believe I'm a gym person, but I am. And I really like it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm thankful that it finally happened to me that I like <laughs> actually like it now. Cause I've, I've come on and off of being a gym person a number of times, but I just kept going back and it finally caught. So that would be my ideal first thing. Come home breakfast um, you know, a shower, that kind of a thing. And I like to work. My best brain hours are kind of right, basically right after breakfast until around lunch. So from, I don't know, 10 to like two in the afternoon is kind of my most effective. Or, or actually, I'd say even from eight in the morning when I wake up and I'm at the gym, mm-hmm. I'm most alert during, during those hours. Um, but then I eat lunch and I'm usually least alert in the afternoons. And so, um, this is one of the great parts about, uh, being a DJ and also being an entrepreneur is I chill and either read or nap or just kind of like completely disassociate on my phone or whatever every single afternoon, um, for basically as long as feels right. And then waking up, um, you know, so yeah, like I'll work for those hours before lunch, kind of have my afternoon off, usually work a little more. Um, and this is my life and also my ideal day because I'm doing it. But the, And this is how I like it. You know, a little bit more work, kind of like get ready, watch something, play a show mm-hmm. like that. That is, and then come home. Um, I like traveling out in the world and stuff like that. But an ideal, an ideal day, I end up at home in, at the end of the day. But I mean, that's pretty close to what my life really looks like. Um that's what I like. Sounds magical. Yeah. And, and like, you know, that work period could be anything from practicing, downloading music, making edits, working on new songs, administrative stuff like sending invoices and W9s and updating my calendar. Um, so quote unquote work, you know, designing posters, um, you know, all of these kinds of things that, that we do as artists and business owners can fall in that little area. But I really work for like, you know, um, outside of the club. I'm in, when I'm at the club, I could play anywhere from two to like four or five hours. 
Um, and then when I'm at home, I'll work for anywhere from like two to four hours a day, depending on what I have that night. But um, some days that work is more fun. So like on my ideal day, I'd probably be like downloading music. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I really like. When you're searching for new music, what's like, I got to imagine it's similar to like what most, most research is where like you try to find a thread and then you just keep going and, and looking for that. But I've myself, I've never been um, a great excavator of new new music and i think a lot of it just has to do with my patience <laughs> and my my lack of attention span for something like that but I, I would love to learn more about what your research process looks like well uh f first of all that's um totally like one of the reasons why i love what i do because i sort of feel like i again i'm like I enjoy this mm -hmm. and I'm suited to do it. And so I'm like, you don't have to spend time doing it. I'll just bring you stuff. And then if you like it, you keep it. And then if you don't, you get rid of it. And that's why, you know, I do my year end playlists and all these things. Like I, I know that most people don't have the time to dig as hard as I do because this is what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And so I love to just serve up what I have found to people so that they can just take it and start enjoying it right away without having to do what I do, which is kind of like, um, really not far off from what you said. I, I am always listening, which just when I'm in the world, when I'm in the car, I'm always listening. I have record pools that I check. I pull music from TikTok. I dig on um, just music downloading websites on Spotify, on playlists, on um, just kind of like, yes, following a thread. This artist who I follow has a new album with this person on it. I'll go look there. And then, oh, they have a, the, I like this person's voice, but I don't like this song. Let's go look at their album. Um that kind of a thing also recommended if you like this artist is this person and I go there and um, truly just go down the rabbit hole as far as I can um, and just pick things up along the way but but it but it is time consuming and the other thing is is it doesn't always yield so you might spend time working um, during your work day and come away with almost nothing but it's still all in a day's work. Yeah. Um, so. And then, I mean, you know, you come back the next day and you might find three songs. It does. To the set it and... really does happen. Or someone puts out a compilation and every song on it is like, oh, I could play this tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very cool. You just have to keep looking. Just keep digging. Treasure hunting. Always. Mm-hmm. Treasure hunting. I like that analogy. Um, okay. Do you, are there any... Are there any like phrases that you repeat to yourself? And, and for context, like, I don't know, I find myself going through my day when I'm in situations or whatnot, I'll kind of return to like three or four little, little quips to kind of like bring me back to center. Um, I don't know if you, you have any, maybe like, well, you're getting ready to go on stage or anything, but I'm curious if there's anything that you repeat to yourself. Um, gosh, there probably is some things I say to myself all the time, but you know what it is, is, um, the things that I'm repeating to myself is literally, uh, songs that are stuck in my head. And I'm like, this is my, I, ha I have to play the song tonight. It's stuck in my head. Um, and sometimes those little pieces of lyrics can have some, for some reason it has stuck with me mm -hmm. either because it reminds me of something that I have just dealt with or gone through or thought about or something that I think is just particularly funny. So um, I don't know. I don't have any necessarily motivational um, phrases that I repeat to myself or affirmations, but I do always have little bits of things that are just kind of floating around in my head, sometimes without my my say so but um but but again that's that's cool that's how my mind works got to start somewhere so I, and i think that that's one of the least surprising answers you could have given your, your brain your mind's just music you're you are thinking and living i'm in glad the, you think that's a good answer yeah yeah i mean everything that you've been talking about and it's confirming a lot of the assumptions i had of you being like you you are a DJ like this is kind of in your blood, um, but the way that you 
you know, get joy in finding a new song. And those songs can sometimes like take such a hold of you that you, you can't shake the lyrics until you play it that night. And, um, I think it's, it just, it all, it melts together very well. Yeah. And, and it also kind of represent periods of time in my life. Like, Oh, remember when we were singing that song nonstop all day, it was stuck in my head and then you like forget about it. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Song lyrics. That's what's, that's what's that's on what's repeat going, in my brain. That's what's going on in Aaron's serious <laughs> brain. Um, amazing. Well, Aaron, this has been so lovely to, to, to sit down, chat, catch. I was realizing I haven't seen you probably in like six months, maybe since the last, the last time I hired you to do a show. Yes. Yes. Um, but the way I like to kind of cap these is like reflect back some of the, the themes that I've been hearing. Um, and the first one that came about was this is when you were talking about being at the raves and kind of like observing, but this, this kind of question of like, which, which one of these people am I like, which, which, um, you know, which persona and character am I playing? And I think that is so, um, representative of, of kind of what you've been doing in terms of trying on these different things and being willing to wear these different hats and, and do different things. But like when it gets to the point where that no longer suits you, leaving it there and trying something else. Um, and, and that ultimately leading you to, to being a DJ and kind of finding your calling. I thought that was a really cool thing to see that when you were 13, you were like very much thinking about that going forward. So that was, that was one that, that jumped out at me. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece I would say that was like, I kind of mentioned a little bit um, uh, earlier, but the, the resiliency piece and everything, when you were talking about like working at the, the Fillmore and at Comedy Works, just relentlessly showing up, telling people who you are and what you're trying to do. And taking no mind to whether that goes somewhere or not, but just like continuing to show up day after day. And then that even like translating to when you're looking to find new music, it's like the willingness to show up every day and, and put yourself in the situation to do what it is you, you believe you're supposed to be doing regardless of what the outcome is. And I think that that resiliency and that patience and that perseverance is what ultimately allowed you to create this life where from two to two to 5 PM, yeah. you're able to just kind of, I, ch I, I just out. chill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, th but that's like, I, I think just to even call back to that, you're only able to do that because of the nights, weekends, all the days where you sacrificed, you know, sleep and relaxation and going out with friends to either go play a show or go work at comedy work so you can pay rent so you mm -hmm. can go back and, and continue to do it. And, um, it's as, as your friend, very, very cool to see you in this stage of life. Um, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's nice. Of course. Yeah. Well, and, and Aaron, so every, I mean, after every single show, I'm pretty sure I go up to you. I'm like, you're the coolest, like you're, you're going to be blowing up and, and watching you be on that path and being able to sit here today and also realize like, you're just the chillest person who also like saved people's lives as a 911 <laughs> operator, which <laughs> is the most casual, like first job out of school to drop. Um, it's been amazing to, to get to know you a little bit more. I know that was really nice just to chat with you for a while and tell you some of my weird stories and stuff, but yeah. 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 Thank you, Sam. Um, and I in remembering we're supposed to, we have to plug one thing because Aaron talking about the big things happening. I I'd heard that a big music place might be, playing slash uh featuring some of your music so if you want to talk about that before we wrap up yeah um so obviously i play tons of shows but what i also really like to do is uh, make mixtapes and i made a mixtape that was selected by um the people um at the well let me see how did this happen the um pete tong is a really uh famous old school um a UK electronic DJ who now has a DJ school with some of the other uh, biggest DJs in the world, um, including my favorite DJ, Carl Cox, who was just at Red Rocks. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but so anyway, so they had an opening to submit your mixtape to appear on their curator page on Apple music. And I was, uh, floored to find out that they selected one of my mixes to appear on their page on Apple Music. And it's kind of really cool because you can only be 
selected, um, you really can't just submit to have a music or to have a mixtape on Apple Music. So that was, first of all, a really cool opportunity that they made available, but also um, a total honor to have been selected um, to just appear there on like you know, uh, next to, you know, Pete Tong and some of these other, not only next to my peers, but next to some of the biggest DJs, biggest DJ names in the world. Um, and then, you know, uh, Aaron Stereo. So that was like, that's, um, something that I'm just very excited about, um, continuing to share with people. It's a, it's actually a great workout mix. It's almost exactly an hour and it's very upbeat, super fun, it's not that different than what I played at the last event of yours oh, that I was at. Uh, low key, I was dry running the mix at that event. Amazing. Um. So so um. So yeah. So you actually kind of like you got like the preview uh, Apple Music mix. But anyway, yeah, you should be able to find it just by looking for Aaron Stereo, and um, a couple of my original songs are up there too. But the mix is the thing that I'm most proud of most excited about and is the most recent thing i've done there you go well I, i'm i'm hearing that i need to go produce another concert to give you another opportunity to do some dry runs to submit some mixtapes um Aaron, thank you so much for being here